0: This show is sponsored by IdealWorkspace.com which promotes a healthier way of working through their adjustable standing desk. Check out their latest smart adjustable standing desk at altizen.com A-L-T-I-Z-E-N.com. Welcome to Analyze Asia, the pop- dedicated to dissect the pulse of business, technology and media in Asia. In this episode, I speak to Andy Mukherjee from Bloomberg GapFly on the Indian business titans' leadership crisis. We discuss the recent leadership troubles in the Qatar Group and Infosys and discuss whether these issues will precolate to the rest of the Indian corporate giants. Hi, Andy. Hi, Bernard. How are you doing? I'm good. I am looking out of the window
1: at the Hong Kong skyline and it's early morning. Looks a little foggy and
0: smoggy, but not a cause for concern in any way. It's a beautiful morning. Just after the 19th Party Congress in China, of course. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) And. This is someone I really wanted to speak to because I read his column almost every day. Thank you. And this is Andy Mukherjee, GetFly columnist for Bloomberg LP. And I got this interview through a common friend of ours, Tim Capon, who also a guest on the show. So Andy, I want to get to know you better. How do you start your career?
1: Well, Bernard, you may be surprised or perhaps not, but although I deal in words now, I actually started off as a number cruncher. Now, this is back when I was in India, where I grew up. Companies, sometimes mid-sized companies that were looking to raise money from the public, they would give me estimates of the projects they had in mind. And then I would work out everything from future profitability and cash flows to what kind of a capital structure they needed, what kind of debt levels they could support, et cetera, et cetera. Now, much of this work that I did for the fundraising process, I realized was fiction. Because in Excel, back in those days, in Lotus 1, 2, 3, you could pretty much achieve any EPS the company wanted in the fifth year after listing. (laughs) Now, I didn't stick around in that profession for very long and came instead to financial journalism, which by far is a much more truthful profession, regardless of what President Trump might say.
0: You are with Bloomberg Gladfly now. So, what was your career journey like before that then?
1: Oh, well, so I did many things. As I told you, I started out as a number cruncher in Western banking, which back then was known as merchant banking, following the British terminology. Then I became a financial analyst, stock journalist. I came to Bloomberg and I joined them in 1999 as a reporter covering the finance ministry in New Delhi. And then in 2001, I came to Singapore. Bloomberg transferred me to Singapore to do regional economics. When I moved in, my first assignment was to cover the ASEAN summit in Brunei. I pretty much had no idea where Brunei was. Uh, Nor did I know anything about ASEAN. So I got uh, thrown off of the deep end. You know, it didn't take very long for me to pick up the nuances in, in Southeast Asia, economics and politics. In a few years later, Bloomberg made me a columnist. And I did that for some time. Before I left Bloomberg to set up a TV station in India, a financial television station for India's largest media company, the Benedict Coleman Group. I did that successfully and that channel uh, is still uh, there doing very well. But I returned to Singapore and I worked for Mediacorp for six months. And then for for Straits Times as a writer for some time. Then I worked for Reuters Breaking Views as a columnist, as an Asia economics columnist for three years. And then I was back at Bloomberg. So this is my second innings at Bloomberg. So what is your current role and coverage in
0: Bloomberg Get Fly?
1: Well, I'm part of a team of six very talented Asia columnists and three very patient and learned editors. So together, we are a team of nine. In turn, we fold into the global GATFLY team, and the global GATFLY team is about 30% strong. Now, I cover corporate and market events across Asia, though with a particular focus on the financial sector. And I also tend to focus more than my colleagues on South and Southeast Asia, because that's the story that I understand are relatively better. Now, following the tradition of a true gadfly, I try to write as far as possible on things that at least somebody would rather not to see in print, you know, because as they say, the rest is public relations anyway.
0: So, <laughs>
1: <laughs> so throughout your career journey, what are the interesting lessons learned? Well, Bernard, several lessons, but perhaps the most important one for me personally has been that The one thing that a young journalist values the most, which is access to newsmakers, Uh, that is, you call them, they take your calls, that you send them an SMS and they return, they answer your queries and, and all of that. That access can be very highly overrated. Now, you can be schmoozing all you want with CEOs and other newsmakers, and then, you know, writing drivel just to please them. Who are you serving? Certainly not your readers. The same lesson in a large part applies to the investment analyst community as well, in my opinion. So I think the lesson that access is overrated, there is no harm in wanting access, but if there is any conflict between having access and being able to tell the truth, then I would much rather have the latter.
0: And that's a very good point indeed. So today I want to talk about a very interesting topic, which I term it the Indian titans leadership crisis, actually concerning two mega conglomerates in India. One is Infosys and the other one is the Tata Group. I guess there's been a lot of interesting things happening in India on the leadership front with these two business titans. But I want to get an understanding of these two companies before we get into that discussion. So can you briefly describe first the Tata Group and the industries which the group are involved in?
1: yes and before i do that bernard let me let me compliment you on that very nice title that you've chosen it is indeed a leadership crisis for a couple of indian titans not titans only because of their size or because of their market dominance but also they used to be considered titans of corporate governance in fact they offered you Western-style corporate governance standards to think that today these are the companies where there are some serious issues around governance. And those issues have been actually, those issues have only come to a light uh, because of leadership crisis that we will talk about is an interesting point. So now to your question, the Tata Group, or simply the Tatas, as they are known in India, is a sprawling conglomerate with more than 100 operating companies and uh, 105 billion us dollars a year in combined revenue Uh, more than 20 of their group companies are publicly traded they make jaguar cars tetley tea uh, they make lots of steel they make even common salt they make soda ash which is used in soap they run asia's largest software outsourcing business They are in aviation with joint ventures with Singapore Airlines as well as Air Asia, And at one time, they even used to own Air India. Now that Air India is going to be privatized, once again, there is strong speculation that the Tatas might want to own it again. The Tatas also operate Starbucks stores in India as part of a joint venture with Starbucks. So to answer your question, they are very large. uh, They are very diversified. And they are controlled by a nerve center in Mumbai, which is that building is known as Bombay House. And it is the Tata headquarters. And the holding company, which is not publicly listed, is called Tata Sons. And Tata Sons is two thirds owned by charities because this is a very unusual uh, capitalist group in the sense that it doesn't really or it historically didn't really believe that the Tata family needed to become richer and richer Uh, but they had a very strong civic-mindedness and a sense that they needed to give back to the society because the society trusted them uh, as custodian of societal assets and wealth.
0: And so the person who's now sort of the chairman of the group is Ratan Tata, who's also pretty well-known in startup investing world as well, right, if I'm not wrong?
1: Yes. So now Ratan Tata is, of course, uh, he controls the charities that I talked about, uh, the Tata charities, and thereby he exerts control over the group. Now Tata's sons now has a new chairman and Chandra Sekharan or Chandra, as he's widely known. And Chandra until some time back, used to run Tata Consultancy, which is the software business. And after the spat with the previous chairman and his ousting, Ratan Tata returned for a while as interim chairman. But then he had promised that he was not going to stick around, but that he was going to hire somebody else. And so he did that. So now Chandra is the chairman, but Ratan Tata, you're right, still controls the group.
0: So, similarly, in another company called Infosys, which I often know through Tom Friedman's book as one of the most successful Indian IT outsourcing company. So, can you briefly describe what Infosys do? I'm sure by now, Infosys is much more complicated as compared to its roots in IT. Yeah.
1: So, Infosys is an outsourcing firm, as you said. So, suppose you are a business that uses an enterprise software. All businesses use enterprise software, right, to do everything from sales, accounting, to payroll, to inventory management, and, and you know what have you. Now, the main licensed parts, which which actually you know make those operating software run, could be coming from let's say SAP or Oracle, but it's the Infosys engineers or the outsourcing engineers who work for companies like Infosys who actually help develop and maintain your specific applications. Now, they practically, so Infosys works with all major global firms in all sectors, so they will probably be able to tell you on any given day as to what's going on with the U.S. economy because and, and indeed the global economy because they, they cut across all geographies. So the head office is in Bangalore. They probably will not be able to tell you anything at all about what's happening in Bangalore, but they will be able to tell you everything about what might be going on with the global economy because they work with everyone. Their engineers are on client sites. They sometimes remotely manage your global infrastructure from anywhere. So if, let's say, you are a global bank and your ATM somewhere suddenly starts malfunctioning, it could be remotely fixed. And doing that could be a software engineer, sourcing engineer. So there's a, so from infrastructure management to application software support, maintenance, development, all kinds of
0: work they do. We have talked about Ratan Tata as very influential to the Tata group. Uh, Are there any key people within the Tata group other than also Chandra with Tata sons. They're also influential within the Tata group itself. And similarly, I know a lot of stories about the founders of Infosys as well, who are the key players there
1: yeah so as i said the tata group has many publicly traded operating companies so tata motors for instance which uh, owns the jaguar brand is 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 a publicly traded company similarly tata steel and tata chemicals etc cetera, etc cetera. so obviously there are there are ceos uh, professional ceos which run all these companies and they are all important people in their own right now in the, that Bombay house headquarters that I was talking about, the people to watch, the key people to watch are, of course, Chandra and the CFO that he has recently hired, a gentleman named Saurabh Agarwal. Now, so basically between the two of them, they're trying to rationalize this rather unwieldy group, which uh, obviously they don't want to be in, you know, they, they, they don't want to own a hundred different companies. Uh, they would like to cut the group down to a manageable, a more manageable size. And of course, uh, they also need to take care of some of the Dutch businesses. For instance, as you might know, uh, the telecom business in, in India is, is undergoing huge turmoil because of the entry of a new player. That new 4G player, it's, it's called Reliance Geo, and is backed by the richest Indian Mukesh Ambani, has offered free voice calls and uh, very cheap data plans. Now, uh, the Indian telecom industry was entirely unprepared for that because 95% of its profits came from voice. So companies like the service that, that Tata run, it's, it's called Tata Tele, Tata Services. Now, Tata Services was on the brink of being shut down. But Saurabh Agarwal, the CFO, and, and the CEO, Chandra, they have managed to persuade Bharti Airtel, which is the largest mobile services company in India and has uh, a stake by Singtel. They have persuaded Bharti Airtel to basically merge the two companies. In other words, Bharti Airtel acquires the, the spectrum in the Tata Group and, uh, and Chandra and Saurabh Agarwal, between the two of them, need to figure out what to do with that debt as well as debt at many other companies, including Tata Steel, where they have uh, merged the European business with Tyson Krupp. So there's lots of restructuring and reorganization work that's currently going on. And these are the two gentlemen who are driving it.
0: What about Infosys? They have very legendary founders who write a lot of books and talk about the India economy, about identity cards. But you know, who are the key people in Infosys? So Infosys is not a family company. It was
1: started by Narayana Murthy and some of his fellow software engineers. They all used to work for one company. So they were all professionals. They did that by borrowing a little bit of money from Murthy's wife. Now Infosys started in 1981. It did an IPO in India in 1993. And that IPO actually bombed. It flopped. But then, as you know, Y2K happened remember that scare the year 2000 scare that any software that didn't have a four digit uh, year code will not work and the world will stop then you might be stuck in an elevator your shift door will not open and you know okay. all that all chaos is going to ensue and unfold So that was the starting point of explosive demand for the Indian software business. And and that's not true just for one company. Infosys, of course, has a larger rival from within the Tata group that I talked about. That's called uh, Tata Consultancy Services. It's the older company. It's also otherwise known as TCS. And as for Infosys itself, it has gone on to, you know, from the time of that flopped IPO, it then went on to have a Nasdaq listing, which has now become an NYSE listing. And it has in the process gone on to mint several billionaires and many, many millionaires. Now, the person There to watch because Narayana Murthy is now retired. But among the co-founders, a lot of them tried or a lot of them actually took turns running the company after Murthy. The most successful among them was Nandan Nilekani. Now, Nandan Nandan then left Infosys and he joined the government and he created the unique identification system for India. Now, you can imagine uh, creating a unique number for a billion Indians, and it's a biometric database. It's also a very controversial one, but that was his next, the, the, the next big thing that he did. So he went on into a sort of a public service kind of role. Because of the leadership uh, crisis, and we will talk about that later, today Nandan finds himself back in Infosys, as the non-executive chairman, the co-founders own about 14% of the company. Uh, all the others, including Murti, are all outside doing other things. But Nilakani is back as non-executive chairman trying to fix the company uh, trying to hire a new CEO because obviously they lost their CEO last August we can talk about that later
0: so with the rise of the india startup unicorn such as flipkart and ptm is infosys really under threat for talent in india then Well, not really, you know, Bernard, because, okay, two things are happening. One is that
1: the nature of the business itself is changing and the software industry is increasingly going digital, which means it's also adopting a lot of automation. So right now, the problem is that there are probably more engineers out there than there is demand for their services. So that industry is is facing a bit of a glut at the moment. To your specific question about Flipkart and Paytm, remember that Infosys is a pure coding company, right? It's a B2B business. Now, Flipkart and Paytm, these are in e-commerce and payments, respectively. They are B2C. They also hire coders, but not in numbers that would be materially detrimental to Infosys running its business. Just to give you an idea, Infosys has almost 200,000 employees, now, Tata Consultancy or TCS has almost twice as many, so about 400,000. So for these software companies, you know, their people's time is their raw material. The number of lines of codes that they write and the price that the client will pay for that is that output. Now, for the newer e-commerce type of companies, that's not the case. They have a specific service for which the client pays, and they are not necessarily selling their coders' time.
0: Yeah, so there comes to the crisis that we had talked about earlier on. So let's look at the Tata Group first. Ratan Tata, the chairman of the group, ousted Sirius Mystery, the group CEO, and I think the Mystery family apparently owns is the second largest shareholder within the Tata subsidiaries. So what are the key reasons for that outsting itself? Well, okay, so the main charge that Ratan Tata's side
1: leveled against Mr. Misri after that very surprising sacking was that the group was becoming alarmingly dependent on Jaguar cars and the software business, TCS, for the dividends that Tata Sons. Was was earning, and Tata Sons' only income is either from dividends or from selling some stake in one of the one of the companies that it owns. Right, so Tata Sons is the holding company, as I said before. So, so they said that look, Tata Sons then has to pay dividends to the to the charitable trust, and the charitable trust need a certain cash flow in a you know they need to have clarity over what kind of cash flows they are going to earn in order for them to sustain their their projects. So they said that this is an unsustainable situation because all that our group is uh, earning is coming from either Jaguar cars or from TCS. None of the other businesses, uh, be it steel, be it hotels, because by the way, the Taj group of hotels, that's also Tata's, uh, owned by the Tata's. And I I talked about telecom, Tata Teleservices. Uh, All those businesses are are not sending up any dividends to the holding company. So that, they said, showed that mystery was not really able to manage the group in a way that, uh, that the main shareholder, the charities, want they also said that uh, mistri was not living up to the to the tata ethos and because he had not amicably amicably resolved a nasty breach of contract dispute with partner entity Docomo. Entity Docomo is or was until recently a partner in, in Tata Teleservices. So they said that, look, fighting with partners, etc., this is not what the Tata Group does. And uh, it seems that uh, Mystery didn't have that reputation risk in mind. Now, that was their side of the story. Mystery, on his part, Argued that his hands were tied, that Ratan Tata was doing a lot of backseat driving, and uh, this is when it was actually Ratan Tata's term before Mr. Uh, you know uh, uh, became the chairman. That during Ratan Tata's term, group had been saddled with lots of debt and a lot of debt businesses. Mr. In fact, warned of something like 18 billion dollars of asset write-offs that the group will need to take and that he was being prevented somehow from taking those tough decisions. For instance, there was the small car project, the Tata Nano. Now, it was Ratan Tata's baby. And therefore, he said that, uh, you know, we are still producing that car, although there is no demand for it. And uh, the whole thing should be when that production line needs to be shut down. So uh, so there were lots of issues. But, you know, if you were, if you are to summarize it, you will only say that Misri and Ratan Tata didn't get along. And that is really the main reason why that partnership had to end.
0: So in the case of Infosys, I think it's quite interesting because they have a professional CEO who is from a pretty well-known technology company, SAP. I think Vishal Sika, right? He quit the company because there was constant attacks from one of the founders as well. Yes. Narayan yeah, yeah. So what is going on there then? Yeah. So it was very surprising
1: because, uh, as you said, uh, Sika came from SAP and he had a sterling reputation. Uh, he still has, of being, uh, you know, a, a real tech guru, as it were. But in Sikka's case, what happened was that there was a whistleblower letter. And Mr. Murthy relied on that whistleblower letter, which alleged all sorts of impropriety in a 2015 acquisition of a small Israeli automation tech company. Now, there was also allegation in that whistleblower letter of payment of hush money to a former. So basically, the accusation was that this deal was overpriced. And then then there was allegation that the CFO didn't want to clear that deal and uh, was paid hush money when the CFO wanted to leave. So he was. So his severance payment was basically hush money. And uh, then that there was a board level cover up surrounding all of that. Now uh, all sorts of uh, such allegations were made. Now Murthy, based on that whistleblower letter, demanded full disclosure of a law firm investigation because he said that look in my time we set some standards for disclosure and we disclosed even when we had negative surprises to spring because a large customer had suddenly canceled a contract etc cetera, etc cetera, we told the market the truth we told investors the truth we didn't try to hide stuff so that should still be the dna of the company so therefore he wanted the full report of that law firm investigation to be made public. But the company said there are confidentiality issues involved and it can't be done. So so the board said that Murti is being unreasonable and he's making this whole thing very vicious. And because the, because Murti was also questioning all sorts of other things as to why uh, Sika, you know, spends more time in Palo Alto, why doesn't he spend more time in Bangalore? Customers are obviously more in the US than they are in Bangalore, but then operations are in Bangalore. So, And why does he, you know, make use of, of, a, of a corporate jet? Why does he charter a plane? Why doesn't he take, you know, uh, why doesn't he fly the economy like the original founders used to do? So there were style differences. But more than the style differences, I think it was this whole question about that one acquisition and what went on in that acquisition and whether there was hush money, whether there was cover-up, a board-level cover-up. Now, those became the governance issues. And then Sika in August, surprisingly... Uh, One day Infosys announces a buyback and the stock shoots up and the next day Sikka surprisingly tells the market that he's leaving and then the stock falls 14% in one day. So yeah so both the Tata Group and Infosys I mean these are they both used to be known for their sterling corporate governance record and today both of them have serious problems.
0: With both companies having leadership crisis, what are the differences, and will you see more of this happening in corporate India? I guess one interesting thing I picked up from the Tata Group and Infosys is that a lot is to do with the founders who have an original vision and perception of how their company should be run in the set of right and noble causes versus when they pass it on to professional CEOs or people who may, who may not share that vision. Is that how I understand it correctly?
1: Yes, it can be a bit of a mother in law problem right so if if a new daughter in law comes in the mother in law thinks that oh my you know this person doesn't know anything and i know everything about what my son wants etc cetera, etc cetera. so there could be a bit of that there could even be genuine government governance lapses and it could be that people like Radhan tata and people like murthy they actually do despair about slipping governance standards and they want to uphold some you know some ethos that could also be part of the issue but but i think to me it it looks like the, the that that fetish for not wanting to let go of control is perhaps the larger driving force
0: will this percolate to the rest of corporate india because you were mentioning that also some companies are also having those situations now as well
1: yeah, so we we will probably see more of this going forward because remember there was when the Indian economy opened up starting in the mid eighties, but process only gained momentum in the nineteen nineties, a lot of new entrepreneurs came onto the field, right? They burst on the scene as it were. Now Many of them are getting old. It's coming to that time when they have to hang their boots and they have to, you know, to hire. Uh, In in some situations, there is a son or a daughter who is going to take over. In many instances, there could be a professional manager who is going to be running things. In case, I mean, in either situation, we are going to see some sort of a, a conflict between the old guard and the new guard. So leadership transitions are, are not, I mean, they don't have to be messy, but they often are messy when it's a family-run company we are talking about. And that is, and, and a lot of Indian companies, most of the successful ones uh, outside of the multinationals are family-run. So we are going to have situations like this, even Infosys which is presumably not a family-run company, has pretty much shown in the last uh, year or so that even outside of that domain, there could be issues around leadership and leadership transition.
0: So Andy, thank you so much for coming on the show to talk about the Indian Titans leadership crisis. So definitely I will get you back to, to talk about these companies, Indian conglomerates a lot more because I would really want to understand a lot more how they came to be and what are they doing today. So in closing, I always like to ask two questions. So the first one is, can you recommend a book podcast or anything you found interesting in your work or life? Well, the last a really great book that I read,
1: Bernard, and I strongly recommend it. If you haven't read it already, then do read Yuval Harari's *Sapiens*. It's it's a breathtaking summary of where we, uh, Homo sapiens, have arrived in 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 our short time on this planet, and the very idea that we may one day evolve into something. Other than Homo sapiens, that our that we might get melded with robots and, and turn into a new branch um, of sapiens is is very interesting. It's also scary, but it's certainly worth pondering.
0: I, I presume you have also read the sequel Homo Deus, right? Yes, I, that's, that's uh, on my to-do list about the book, but I have to start reading it. <laughs> yes, I've read that book and I actually enjoyed uh, some of the ways of how they think about perception and belief, particularly oh. in such times when you think about things like Bitcoin, it's actually the degree of belief. And I think it's the same degree of belief we have in the Federal Bank of the U- US, right? About the US yeah, currency yeah. as well.
1: Yes, Indeed, indeed. So you recommend it. I I highly recommend that
0: book. I've I've read it and it's probably the best book I have read early this year. Great. Good to know that. Yeah. So my last question, how do my audience find you?
1: Well, the best way to follow my work and indeed that of all my talented colleagues is uh, to go visit the Gatfly website, www.bloomberg.com forward slash Gatfly. Nothing's behind a paywall. So happy reading.
0: Yep. And I totally recommend my audience to check out GetFly. Andy and Tim both have very precise and insightful articles that I enjoy reading almost day to day. Thank you, Bernard. So uh, once again, Andy, thank you for coming on the show. I I thank you uh, for the opportunity,
1: Bernard. And uh, I really look forward to doing more stuff with you in the coming weeks and months. Thank you.